This is Wendy Davis, and you're listening to The First Deal Show. Welcome to The First Deal Show with your host, Caroline with a K. On this show, we're talking about investors' first investment property. Join me for a trip down memory lane as we hear the good, bad, and ugly of that first deal. host here, Caroline with the K, and today I've got a very special guest who I met through the interweb. So Wendy Davis is a transition and growth coach who invests in real estate part-time. So welcome, Wendy. Thanks so much for making the time to come on the show. Thank you so much, Caroline. I am grateful to be here. Yeah. And so as always, the 402 knows how this goes. We start the show with the Kiss Me segment. So we're going to get to know you a little bit better, and the 402 is going to get to know more about you in general. So the first question is, what is or what was the first album that you purchased? Oh, wow. Um, this is a funny answer. Uh, I think I've only purchased one album in my life. And I was um, completely obsessed with Wonder Woman, like the original, the 1974 classic and Linda Carter. Um, for those of you who I'm sure probably don't know, <laughs> was um, the woman who played Wonder Woman and she actually was an aspiring singer. And so I remember very vividly being on Sunset Boulevard in West Hollywood um, in LA and combing through all the records to find her record and listening to it like endlessly. But that honestly was like, <laughs> I was not a music purchaser. Mm. Do you remember what was like her hit song? She didn't have any. <laughs> it's Wonder Woman. She found her calling in Wonder Woman. Yeah. No, it wasn't very good, but I was I was committed. Oh, that's a true fan. That's great. Yeah, totally. All right. And what was the biggest challenge that held you back from investing in real estate? Um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So now looking back, I think I would say that I I wasn't a good planner. Like I was sort of living by the seat of my pants um, at that time, like, you know, early 20s, late 20s, um, and just not really planning. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. And what is something new that you learned or did during the pandemic that others might not know about you? That's a good question. I took a lot of um, Coursera courses. So like <laughs> the science of well-being from Yale was a super interesting one. People probably don't know that I took that, got a little certification in it. Um, I did get my real estate salesperson license. A few people know that, but not everyone. Yeah, awesome. Re definitely relevant to the podcast, uh, the second uh -huh. one. So yeah. I, that's interesting. You mentioned you took a course from Yale. I think there's like a happiness coach or a happiness professor there. And she has yeah. like a class. That's, that's the one. She's the one that taught it. And I'm totally not remembering her name right now. But yes. Yeah, I think I saw her thing and also participated in that class. It was really good. So funny. Yes, it was really good. It was very interesting to me. Yeah. Awesome. And so finally, with that, what is your favorite quote? 
Oh gosh, I'm terrible at regurgitating quotes, <laughs> but I will say one of my favorites, I'm just gonna give you the gist, so it's not a direct quote, but um, Brene Brown, who I absolutely love, um, talks about the ability or the desire to get it right rather than being right. So she sort of describes us all as kind of having this choice, like, and do you, are you the type of person that wants to be right or get it right? So I've always remembered that and try to implement it whenever I'm making decisions and just when I'm interacting with people in general, I just want to get it right. So instead of arguing with someone to be right, then like, how would that work out? Is there an example that you have? It's funny. I was just listening to a Dave Asprey podcast and he was talking with, um, gosh, uh, what is her name? Byron Katie, who does the work. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Um, but they were talking about when you want to be right, oftentimes that'll, that'll manifest as like anger, which is really fear, which is really scarcity, right? So it's really interesting when you boil that stuff down, the being right is all ego, right? And ego is always trying to protect you. So it's sort of the idea that, you know, if I'm feeling really reactive, I'm probably not getting it right. So if I can be in a place of presence and I'm grounded and I, I know whatever I want from that interaction and I'm not just unconsciously reacting, then I'm more likely to be in a space where I have a better chance of getting it right versus trying to like plow through and be right. And if you are right and you're plowing through to be right, that inevitably means somebody has to be wrong, right? So it's very rigid and very narrow. It doesn't leave a lot of room for stuff. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you for sharing that example. Yeah, absolutely. So with all of that being said, Wendy, where are you based and where are you investing? I am based in Brewster, Massachusetts, which is on the Cape, Cape Cod, and it's mid-Cape. So if you're looking at like, you know, the arm, it's the inside of the elbow on the bay side. Um, and my latest investment property is about two miles from here, and it's just a single family home um, that we rent mostly in the summer, but I do. It's, it is open year round, but um, so just the one right now. Yeah, Brewster. Cool. So tell us, what was your first investment property? So my first investment property um, was in 2004, actually. And it, I, I do want to mention that um, my first investment property also came about because of some privilege that I had. So my partner and I um, were together and my mother-in-law owned this home. Um, that she rented to us. We lived on the first floor and there was a tenant on the second floor. So after we had been there a couple of years, um, she offered to sell us the house, um, but just go through her. So we didn't have any paper mortgage. We didn't have to go through a bank. We didn't pay interest. So that was huge. Because um, like I said earlier, I was not really a planner. I had a lot going on. I had kind of like a tumultuous um, childhood and was just sort of like, surviving, not necessarily thriving, just kind of making my way and not, there wasn't a lot of executive functioning like planning happening. <laughs> so 
Um, but anyway, we had this incredible opportunity. So we did purchase the house and then we had the income from the second floor. And like I said, no interest and that sort of thing. And that sort of was, you know, obviously a great foundation for future investing. Hmm. Okay. So can you talk us, run us through the financials? Like what did you guys purchase for? And um, what were you making from the rental income? Yeah, no, absolutely. So we paid um, 200 for the house and it was um, in a little town in Rhode Island. And the upstairs rent was like, gosh, I, you're really testing my memory today. I didn't, I wasn't thinking about that. Um, I want to say it was like 800 at the time. Um, they paid all their utilities. It was just a small two bedroom apartment, um, separate egress, um, but a nice quiet little neighborhood. Um, we had, we always had great tenants. Um, and at that time that was a year round situation. So we would just, and we had, I think over the time we were there, we had only two different tenants the entire time. Um, so it definitely gave us a positive cash flow, um, but that was running into when we ended up selling that. I think it was like 2006 when we bought our our second home, um, and you know the market was doing what it was doing in 2006. So not a great time, but but it worked. So then you guys sold that house yep we sold that house and bought another house like a town over i was working in sales at the time um and we had sort of uh, been able to save more um and put more away for for that kind of thing so we um sort of moved up in square footage um bought a house on uh about two acres um about i don't know seven minutes from the house we were living in currently um so when we sold that house, we ended up doing a 1031 exchange. Um, and we'd been coming to the Cape for years. And it was a situation where we'd come down for the weekend in the summertime. And then, you know, we'd be leaving on Sunday night. And there'd be like a tear trickling down my cheek. Like, we just loved coming. And I was like, why don't we just like make a, make a step towards the Cape and, and see what happens. So that first step was doing the 1031. So we found a property, a really great neighborhood. Um, with a really solid house and uh, we got a, a great deal on it. We ended up paying 385 for that house. We put 225 down. Um, and then that was in 2017. And we did a lot of work to the house, like painted everything ourselves. Um, nothing major, but like cosmetic stuff. The house is super, super solid. Um, but did stuff like that and then had like some like older furniture. So used some of our own furniture made like sort of conservative, like reasonable um, purchases. And we bought the house in April. We had it up on VRBO, I think by June, mid June of 2017. Yep. And we were like booked pretty much immediately. It paid for itself like, pretty much immediately. I think there was nothing positive cash flow wise happening like that first year, but um, it covered everything. And then we just saw growth year after year after that. But I will say too, speaking of like investing in home ownership, like we did have in 2019, we had a pipe freeze and <laughs> like 24,000 gallons of water went through the house. 
<gasps> gutted it to the studs. Thank God insurance like covered everything. So it ended up, it was horrible at the time. When I tell you it was horrible at the time and I ended up being sort of like the general contractor after we had a few people come through that just weren't really doing what we needed them to do. But um, after that, it ended up, so the kitchen before just had like Formica and old, you know, they were solid and good, but like old cabinets and that kind of thing. So insurance covered everything. We were to put in granite, nice cabinets, all brand new floors, um, and actually were able to increase the nightly rental rate um, after that due to all the improvements. So that was, that was March of 2019. Um, and now we've got like repeat summer renters, um, which is great. Um, and I, honestly, we've had like the best guests. And I would say it's really, you know, it, in some ways it is kind of like a part-time job, but I'm sure there's, you can speak to, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this too, like the different ways that you can manage investment properties. Cause like we do have like companies here too, where you can, you know, they'll take like 25% off the top and manage it for you, which I might consider if I had like three or five, but with one, I would say, you know, if you average it out throughout the year for me, it's like five, about five to seven hours a week because we don't do like, I still do all the like laundry and stuff like that. And we rent it by the week. So it's a seven day minimum in the high season. And then in the shoulder seasons, we go down to like a three night minimum. But I mean, the 12 weeks pays the mortgage. So everything over that's gravy. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, no, that's, so you guys are doing it yeah. right. Um, before we get into that though, I'd be curious to know, so you said that you guys had the property and you were lucky that your mother-in-law yeah. kind of did a seller finance for yes. you. And then you sold it 1031, exchanged it into the house in Cape yeah. Cod so that you guys could actually use it yourselves. Yeah. Um, so did you guys live in it because, or are you living no, in that? No, no. So we bought, so we sold the house we were living in that had the, the rental upstairs, right? The two family bought the uh, single family two miles from here. And then in 2019, we sold our primary residence in Rehoboth, Massachusetts and bought in Brewster. So mm, we're, okay. the rental is about two miles from here. And so at, at each time we had like, uh, the primary and the rental. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I didn't really clarify that yet. Yeah, no worries. Um, so as far as the VRBO or, you know, most people are Airbnb. -ing it well, now, I added that um, actually last year. So I'm on both. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. great. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people that I know who are Airbnb or they have the short-term or long-term vacation yeah. rentals. That's usually the case is like in certain areas during the high season, it mm -hmm. will generally like you can be booked for a month and then that yeah. pays the whole year's yeah. mortgage. Um, and then as far as hiring property management company, it's up to you how active or passive you want to yeah. be. So I have friends who uh, have houses in the Smokies, yeah. but they live out in California. Oh, cool. And because of the long yeah. distance, right, they don't want to deal oh, with the headache of like, yeah. oh, I have to find a contractor, like there's an yeah. issue. So in those instances, like they hire property management right yeah. away. But in your case where you guys are so close and um, since you're only spending five to 12 hours, it is an active income. Yeah. But the nice thing is that you can, because you're active in it, that you can use that towards your taxes. You can get certain tax benefits um, from actively managing your rental, 
especially if it's a vacation and, rental. Uh, you need to tell me more about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not a CPA. This is just educational information, yeah. but I would highly, I would really encourage you to talk to someone who um, deals with okay. real estate investors. And I have a guy who I can refer you to. Um, but yeah, like that's part of the reason why my strategy as far as long-term versus short-term rental has kind of changed mm -hmm. because literally with three short-term rentals, you can essentially replace your income, at least my income. Yeah, right? yeah. I can. No, that would kind of be yeah. the, yeah, the goal when I think about like if I was going to have, you know, a slew, a slew of them, <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. And then with three, you know, three to five of them, you can self-manage. And even though your income might not be as much as like a regular W-2 employee, because of the tax benefits, mm -hmm. it's still, you would even yeah, out. Yeah, that makes yeah. totally sense. Yeah, I'll definitely look into that. It's, I, it's the first I'm hearing of that, so my ears are perked up. Mm, yeah, and because you got your real estate agent's license, like you'll be able to claim real estate professional title. So you're, you're rolling in the right direction, wow. Wendy. I didn't know that second one either. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad I came on today. Yeah, the, <laughs> the problem that I think a lot of investors run into is that if you have a full-time W-2, um, it's really hard to claim to the IRS that you are making more of your income from your passive, yep. you know, quote-unquote passive yeah. investments. But because the short-term rental, vacation rental, um, amount of people managing and owning them has increased, they've reduced the number of hours. So I think as a real estate professional, it has to be like 500 or more hours actively doing real estate in order for you to get that title um, as a real estate professional. But if you are in the short-term rental game, then it's only like 100 hours a year, which for someone who has an additional W-2 job, that's way more manageable, right? Like you will definitely hit that you probably are hitting wow that. that's crazy I, that. I love that thank you so much for sharing that yeah so yeah that's really great and um with all that being said right it sounds like you know you kind of had this well we were talking more offline we didn't really mention this but you had this tumultu tumultuous kind of career changes and a variety of different experiences which is really cool for your own self-development and got you to where you are now um, but if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice as far as your real estate journey, what would that piece of advice be? Just to make a plan, set the goal, like really get still and reflect and think about what you want. Because I, like when we were talking, part of the tumultuousness of my very non-traditional path was that I often was going, just getting away from something that I knew I didn't want, right? Or going towards something that was like easy, I was good at it, it was offered to me, right? Just the easy path or the or the getaway path, which is sort of what we do as humans, right? We sort of vacillate between I want more of that or I want less of that. Um, so I would say really just kind of the planning because anyone can do it. It's not out of anyone's reach. Um, they're not, and that's not to say, to my point earlier, I definitely was given a, a very large helping hand, but all I mean by it's not out of anyone's reach is that despite um, 
challenges that we might all face, there's there's always action that you can take that will get you closer to whatever it is that you really want. And the key is really knowing what you want. That's the hardest piece, or at least that's for me in my journey, what I've learned. It's, and I went a long time without knowing what I want. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's fair to say, and I think that the 402 will appreciate that because you're not alone, right? Like, I, the, and I think the interesting thing is we're kind of on the opposite spectrums of this, right? Where I was like very clear in like what I wanted to do and I, I had like a goal. And although I didn't necessarily hit that goal every time, like I, there was always somewhere I'm like pretty convinced to my core, like this is what I'm gonna yeah. do. Um, but the thing is, is that there's a spectrum, like everyone's in a different place on that spectrum. And we're all trying to figure out like, is this actually what I really want? And we mm. won't know until we go through an experience or do that thing. Um, what you, and it kind of just takes time. It totally does. And I just got head to toe goosebumps because one thing that you just said just so resonates with me. And I just think it's so true. And it's, it's getting the experience, right? Which comes with taking action. Like I was very much like an intellectual, like everything in my head, like think about it, but don't necessarily, I mean, I've lived a gazillion lives in my head, right? Like everybody, right? <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> which one did I actually live? Like it needs to be an experiential life, right? Not something you just think about doing. So if you're, if you're feeling drawn to something, whether it's investing or something else, like it's those small steps and the small changes that have huge, huge, huge impact. Um, you know, you think about a plane and you change course by one, one degree, you're going to end up on the other side of the globe, <laughs> you know, so. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And I'll give this final piece of this small story of like something that just happened the other day to me is I had to deposit a check at the bank. Um, because it's a credit union and like uh, over a certain amount, you can't do it online. Oh, wow. And I'm not one to like, Same. Yeah, I don't go to the bank, <laughs> right? Like my phone will take the picture and there's my yeah. money. But in this instance, right, I have to go to the bank. So I go there and like, I just vaguely had some brief conversation with the teller and then I used their restroom. I came out and someone was outside and he started talking to me. He's like, oh, let's have a chat. And then he's like, you know, I told him some of my interests and then I'm like, oh, let me introduce you to the lender or their oh, wow. mortgage broker. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, those small little actions, right? Like, what are the odds that I go to the bank and this little interaction would happen? Like, you don't, I didn't plan that. It just kind of happened. Right. Um, and then for something to come of that, right? Obviously, I'm going to have to develop that relationship and, you know, keep talking to them right um but just those little things and that happen in life that could potentially to something is right. the, the fun of it totally right? if you're open and you're taking action then the universe like kind of serves it up <laughs> for you to take more action that's exactly. awesome and i think we underestimate that oh my god all the time all the time we forget that we're well we're I feel like I don't want to go down a wormhole, but I definitely feel like we're conditioned, right, to always look outside ourselves for everything. Like we're taught not to whether you get into major religions or just regular uh, socialization. It's, you know, don't look within, don't trust 
about trust your heart or your instinct, you know, go check a million things, make sure you've got it perfect, make sure you've got it exactly right. But nine times out of 10, that's something else. I was just listening to a podcast, actually, um, Glennon Doyle, and she had, do you know Jen Hatmaker? You ever heard of No, but I know Glennon. Okay, yeah, so it was the We Can Do Hard Things podcast, right? And it was Jen Hatmaker was on, um, and she was, they were talking about Jen Hatmaker had gone through this really horrible divorce and she was seeing a somatics coach for the first time. Um, and her somatics coach was telling her, oh, why don't you just, you know, name your body like she or whatever. And they're talking about this and Glenn and Doyle like kind of butts in and she's like, it, it basically comes down to like your body knows and your mind believes, which you just reminded me of. Cause like when you take action, that's like an integrated, like, you're all aligned together when you're taking action, hopefully, right? That's how you want to take action, not from a place of fear and, or, or whatever. But um, that was just so interesting to me because our mind a lot of times gets in the way of us taking action on things that we want for, you know, as many reasons as there are people. But, like, you know, I think that's really powerful when you take action and you can see something come of it and to look for the serendipities, to look for the synchronicities, to look for the magic, because it's there. Right. Yeah. And we're going to go down there, but <laughs> it's this whole idea of like conditioning and programming, yes. right? So as a kid, we're told our whole lives, like you throw a tantrum or you start crying and then everyone's like, stop crying right. or it, you shouldn't do that. Or you're a boy. And I even get that with my son, like my, mother and my mother is always saying to him like you're a big boy like you don't have to cry and i'm like no let him cry right. like he want he because that's us reacting and then we we let it go but then we're conditioned we're programmed to like bottle bottle it up and then when we get older we're inhibited because our whole lives we've been told don't, like, trust don't do the yeah. thing that don't have your feelings yeah. mm -hmm. it's just energy yeah. and motion and if you don't have them they trapped and messed up <laughs> so it's really good to have them uh, abs yeah absolutely and so now it's like okay as adults we have to do the unprogrammed. oh my gosh you know yes i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt yeah no, continue no but like the unconditioning of what everyone has told us and then people look at you funny like mm -hmm. it's weird you know but the reality is part of the reason why we're doing this is so that we can let go of the stuff that's been in us and that we don't pass it on to the next generation. Right. Cause that's my fear is like, even with my own kid, I'm like, okay, I have to be careful about how I react to him mm -hmm. because he might take that and it might stick. And I don't mm -hmm. want that. Like I would much rather just like, I have to be in control and know myself, like how am I reacting to things? Right. Cause, Cause I'll they see everything yeah. like and especially with our kids right it's like if they feel pain a lot of times it'll trigger our pain we don't want them to feel pain and it just becomes this quick like it gotta be really it's so hard to be conscious and respond in a way that's um that does validate and see and hear another person's feelings and experience you know it's not ours it's theirs and it's like sometimes we forget and we just want to make it better you just reminded me too have you ever heard of uh, the man enough podcast it talks all about specifically men and liz plank who wrote a book called for the love of men but it's all about how you know boys and men are just um it 
focuses on their socialization and their conditioning. It's really interesting. You might like it. Oh yeah. I'll have to look into it because man, when it's because I see it even in my own Mm -hmm. brother, right. That he would like, it's hard for him to be who he is, although he's very expressive. And he always says like, Caroline, I think you should have been the boy. I was the girl (laughs) because you think like a guy and I don't. I'm like, what does that even mean? Right. Right. Like, why are we conditioned to think that men and women are supposed to think and behave a certain way when in reality, like we're just people and we, you know, some of us have thoughts that are more in line with each other and others have more thoughts and emotions that are more aligned with each other. And that's okay. And that's become my catchphrase is that's okay. I like it because it's so true. I mean, gender is made up like so many other things when it's like, it's just like all out there is this, you know, there's so many binaries that we're socialized with that just don't don't really fit it's a continuum we're all like i mean look at nature yeah which kind of brings us all (laughs) right to the center of like we are all on a continuum in this investing journey and that some people are in the very beginning some people are well way ahead and that's why we're here for to educating you on what your options are as far as how you can get into real estate investing Um, And with all of that, this has been great conversation. I've really loved chatting with you, Wendy, and kind of seeing your thought processes. Um, What would be the best way for the 402 to reach out to you if they're interested in chatting or maybe they want to check out your place out in Cape Cod? Yeah, no, um, I would say uh, win with Wendy, W-I-N-N underscore, W-I-T-H underscore Wendy on Instagram. You can always direct message me. Um, I'm also on WhatsApp. And if you're looking to rent, you could send me a message on any of those. I've got, I do have some openings in September, a little bit in December. Otherwise I'm booked straight through the end of the year. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel very blessed. And thank you too, because the conversation has been great. And so with all that 402, there you have it. And that is all folks. 402. Did you learn something or take away a golden nugget? Then I'd love it if you would share this episode with a friend. And I'd really also like to talk to you about real estate on Instagram or LinkedIn. So follow me at First Deal Show. If you know someone that has an amazing first deal story, or you just want to give us the dirt on your first deal, shoot me an email at firstdealshow at gmail.com and let's get you on the show. 402, thank you so much for listening. I love all of you and I will see you next Friday.